0: trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode.
1: I think that the best I can hope for is to teach people these things that are happening in this relationship that you're being wrongfully accused for, of, the, the lack of empathy, the invalidation, none of this is your fault. They would have done this to anybody. You had the bad luck of being in the seat. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast.
1: Woo,
2: another episode down. So another call episode here. down.
0: Yes, another episode down but yes. now we had a special event this week didn't we
2: oh yes it was my birthday
0: oh i was gonna say fourth of july
2: oh just kidding.
0: <laughs> i don't just know what kidding. you're talking about <laughs> no it was tara's birthday and as a as a very special birthday you wanted to have an episode that didn't feature a survivor it features someone who's giving some really great analysis a survivor
2: yes because i think as a survivor it's also important to know who you're up against in that sense
0: know thine enemy right
2: yes so it's great to learn about
0: narcissist our guest is dr romani
2: yes i'm so excited i love her so much and we've just connected over so many things
0: you know for those of you that don't know so tara and i were both interviewed on her podcast last year, navigating narcissism, which is on Red Table Talk and the iHeart Radio network, but uh, we were really excited to have her on because she's just you know she has a massive YouTube presence, and I've you know I've known about her. I started watching her her videos during the pandemic on YouTube, and it was so cool. And then I and then I would hear other people talking about her. And uh, a fan of the show who you got to meet Tara last year is. Um, she is the mother of my second cousin, which her name is Maureen Vita, and she is an EMDR therapist. Yes. And she was so excited that we were interviewing Dr. Romney.
2: Yes, yes. I love Maureen.
0: So Tara, today is a special day. Yes. So it's 3rd of July was your birthday. 4th of July is the birthday of America. And today is the rebirth of what?
2: Oh my gosh, the cookie dough donut at sidecar donuts and I don't know if you come down to California you have to have a sidecar donut this is not an ad at all this is just I haven't had this donut in years because it was a seasonal flavor they kept it around for a while and then they took it away and then a lot of us lost our minds actually and then we're like we need the sidecar the cookie dough donut back please. And it came back today after years of being gone.
0: For years, you've been deprived of a cookie dough donut.
2: Well, maybe like two years.
0: That's that's a long time to be deprived of a cookie. I mean, it sounds like an absolute like calorie bomb. It but is. it's your birthday week, so right?
2: Yeah, so I'm happy they brought it back this week. It's a birthday present to myself. And now I gotta go get my Postmates because I Postmated it.
0: Well, while you go get your sidecar donut, we're going to get into this episode with Dr. Romney. What do you think?
2: This is part one of our two-part episode.
0: Dr. Romney, take it away.
2: So welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. For the people that need you in their life and don't know you, who are you?
1: I'm Dr. Romani Dharvasala. Dr. Romani, as most people know me. I am a clinical psychologist. I am a retired professor, Professor Emerita. I am a podcast host. I'm an author. I maintain a YouTube channel. And most people know me for the work I do in the area of helping people who are experiencing narcissistic abuse.
2: Well, thank you. I do have to say, we've had a lot of people on the podcast that have been on your podcast.
1: Wonderful.
2: Because it's kind of funny when we come on your podcast, it's like we build a group and we all connect. So thank you for having that platform.
1: Thank you, Tara. I mean, it makes me so happy to hear that 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 kind of connection is happening, because that's, I mean, I think that the more people hear, you know, I think where the story of you and Collier is so powerful is that you are survivors of your young people. And I think that people look to you to say, okay, what does the other side of this look like? You know, and I and, and your stories were public. And that's a very unique place. And so I think that many people look to you and say, okay, they went through something that was awful and they came through the other side and they had to do it on a public stage. I think that when people hear stories like yours, it's it's really, um, it's it's emboldening people. It, it gives people hope. So i was really honored to have you on Navigating Narcissism. So thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: So Dr. Romani, uh, so why don't you tell us about how you got into this work that is so amazing
1: yeah I mean it's a funny how I got into this work because I have to tell you until 2016 nobody really cared about narcissism that much I think there were some people piddling around in the space and doing some important work but it it, but before that for a very long time I'd say in the early 2000s I had been um, I had been working with uh, in, in as part of research teams I was a professor at the time and people were talking about how difficult some of the patients and some of the studies were, were clinical studies. And the, what they were describing to me, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. These people sound like they have personality issues. And then it led me to go into the research and look at what's been done. And very little. Personality disorders, as they relate to specific things like certain health outcomes and stuff, hadn't been studied. And in fact, there was a real kind of a, um, renaissance in narcissism publishing that started probably in the mid to, like 2005. And from there on, we've seen a ton of interest in the topic, but when I started doing research into this it was really as it related to people who were in healthcare settings. I'm doing the research is interesting, it was what it was, learned a ton and um, at the same time I also had a practice and in the practice people kept coming into sessions talking about the same kind of relationship, lots of antagonism, lots of narcissism, invalidating, gaslighting, and I was really struck by hmm this is interesting and when I did a deeper dive what was really striking to me was that nobody in the field of mental health was taking this on. Whereas there were hundreds if not thousands of published articles about working with narcissists, doing therapy with narcissists, breaking down narcissism, there was almost zero on how to work with people who are going through these relationships that disconnect was stunning to me and so that culminated in what would be my first book on the topic um, should I stay or should I go surviving a relationship with a narcissist but then after that it was interesting people were like oh did you get into this because of yourself actually not at all the first stuff that brought me in was all these other people and as I connected the dots then I was like hmm wait a minute and it was very interesting that the insight came in through the back door that the academic interest the clinical interest the theoretical interest came first then the lack of help for people going through this was also striking to me and then i connected it to my life and that was and then, and then that was that and then i just kind of just got deeper and deeper into the work more clinically at that point and then here we are
0: so when you say it connected you in your life what do you mean
1: multiple people, people in my family, intimate relationships, workplace relationships, friendships that got blown up by this personality style. And I think that for a very long time, I thought, well, I'm the only common denominator here. Maybe there's something about me. Maybe I have unrealistic expectations for human relationships. Maybe I'm actually as bad, dumb, unskilled, foolish, and unattractive as these people are telling me. I'm like, okay, that's plausible. I can go with that. I already had pretty, you know, low self-esteem to start with and. Um, and I think that the combination of all of that and just not having a framework, I, I've, you know, worked with a client recently, a woman who's in her 60s, and she had said, you know what, when I went through this in my marriage 20, 30, 40 years ago, she said, there was no, there was no playbook for this. Nobody talked about this. And I've worked with a lot of people in their 60s and 70s who said we only have learned about this in any substantial way in the public arena in the last 10 years. And, you know, and that's the work of myself and a handful of people who started talking about this in a public stage. But in the two of you know this well enough, media changed, right? The capacity of a person to be able to put out far reaching free content is really something that only started in the last 20 years. And someone like me in a professional space probably only started climbing into this space in the last five to 10 years. So the platforms to do this have only recently evolved as well. Sure, we wrote books, but books still only hit a segment of the population. So this conversation and then again, 2016, everybody started using the word and then we were sort of off to the races. I was told by a lot of people, my research mentors, I said, what are you doing? You're killing your career. Don't do this. Nobody cares. And I said, you know, I think there's something here. No, no, no. You're making a mistake. I said, then it's my mistake. Let me make it. And here's the mistake. I'm sitting here. That's incredible.
2: That's great. Do you think that when you see a narcissist and you start to learn about what narcissist is or narcissism is, that you kind of are like, your eyes are wide open now and then you start to see them everywhere?
1: I think it's a slow opening, Tara. I wish I could say it's like, bing, now I see it. A lot of people are really resistant to learning about this because it's a real. I mean, especially if you're anybody who's ever walked through the world with any form of optimism or belief in human goodness, it's definitely a parade killer. Let's put it that way. And so you feel as though what people really you're telling me these personalities can't really change it's always going to be like this that these people are more successful like you're telling me that charming and charismatic person isn't always going to be charming and charismatic the problem with this work is number one it crushes a worldview but number two it also dismantles other stuff in our world right i mean the fact is is that When you do work on on narcissism, it's really anti-oppressive, anti-patriarchal stuff. And people don't like that. I mean, people like the systems the way that they are. And so when you're saying, you know, actually, when a person's walking around entitled and has no empathy and is really arrogant and is trying to overpower and control you, that's not healthy. That's a big shift in the paradigm. And I have to tell you, psychology is a field that was developed by white men. So you can imagine this is not a field that is going to be particularly as responsive as it could be to people of color, to LGBTQ folks, to anybody who has less societal power. So I roll in here, you know, sort of the disorganized mess I am, and I'm saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's slow down. And if anything, what I do is I get a lot of criticism for I'm the rotten one. I'm the one who shouldn't be castigating narcissistic people. Narcissistic people have rights too. I said, they have more rights than me. So really, I'm not going after a disempowered group, but there's a lot of pushback on what myself and others in this space are doing.
0: That's insane. You know, you just hit it right on the head, the patriarchal Mm -hmm. aspect. That That is a word that I feel we are going to start hearing a lot more as well. We should. I think that a lot of people don't quite understand what that means or how That is how systemic that is and how ingrained that is in our society. Uh, And especially when you talk about the disenfranchisement with obviously people of color, LGBTQ folks, it's it's, you know, people are tired of it. You know? People
1: are tired of it. And here's the thing, though. This is about something that anybody, anybody who are for any reason, because they're differently abled because of their age, nationality, religion, um, uh, immigration status, pick something. And for those reasons, they don't have um, they don't have power in the society in the same way the people, again, who founded the field of psychology did that there is a. Uh, the mistake we often make is like, oh, you can do the inner work and you'll be fine. You can do all the inner work you wanna do, but if you go out into a world that's hostile to your very presence, and I think that with narcissism, it's people, and listen, anyone from any walk of life, I don't care who you are, it doesn't matter your race, your age, your your whether you're queer, none of that matters. Any Anyone from any group can be narcissistic. But in a way, we're in a society, we're in a culture that rewards and incentivizes the bully rewards and incentivizes the arrogant person makes excuses for people who abuse oh that's a one thing that's a one time everybody loses their temper sometimes no actually no I've never laid hands on another human being in my life and I'm almost 60 years old so no everybody doesn't do that you know we we may want to and we may scream and cry and yell in the car and, and take a shower and scream in there whatever we do but people aren't going off on each other all the time that is that is a province of a subset of folks out there and that subset of folks is really where this narcissism antagonism conversation takes place
0: it's like you do this professionally (laughs) it's (laughs) like you talk about this all the time
1: that's arguable collier the professional part i think there's some people who would dispute that but i'll take it
0: you are you are indian correct
1: i mean my so i'm south asian from india my both my my parents are immigrants
0: so when you talk about patriarchal structures Mm -hmm. what do you think about the caste system
1: it's horrific. I mean, India is a great example of a very hierarchical, very patriarchal culture with stratified systems within it that have been there for a very long time and have resulted in tremendous harm in people who are not empowered in those systems. And that, in that patriarchal sense, it's ancient, right? I mean, it's very, very ancient. So it's that's not something you're going to dismantle. And I think that what I've learned about doing sort of work on narcissistic abuse in different parts of the world, in the Middle East and in South Asia, my message isn't to come roaring in there and saying everybody get out of your narcissistic relationships not that at all I think that the best I can hope for is to teach people these things that are happening in this relationship that you're being wrongfully accused for of the the lack of empathy the invalidation none of this is your fault they would have done this to anybody you had the bad luck of being in the seat it's almost like getting a middle seat on an airplane like that that's really what it is like this is not a, a character flaw in you that's just sort of the bad luck of your life that this is happening and so I think that what we you know what what of uh, what I can do in those parts of the world and say what is happening to you, what you feel is happening to you this is real but to fully appreciate the circumstance that I'd say the vast majority of people cannot leave every narcissistic relationship they're in. We all don't have one. For some people, it's a primary relationship. It could be a um, a long-term committed partner, a marriage, spouse, something like that. It could be a parent. Um, it could be a, clo- a sibling. You know, it could be a boss of a job you've worked at for a long time. These are not always easy things or possible things to walk away from for a variety of reasons, financial, cultural, religious. So coming up with this idea of, well, if something's bothering you that much, then you should get away with it. Is it's, it's absolutely uninformed unseeing and frankly uncompassionate guidance we have to meet people where they're at and for a lot of people either a they can't leave or b they're not ready to leave and so for me the work is uh, if you whether you leave today tomorrow 20 years from now or never what I want to lift you out of is a cycle where you feel that you have no right to bring your autonomous voice to somewhere in the world, not the narcissist, but to other spaces that you, you have the right to express yourself. You have the right to have needs. You have the right to have an identity separate from this relationship. I think people want that to happen with the narcissist. I said, that deal's not on the table, but you have those rights. And to cultivate those spaces where you can do that, even if you're stuck in this toxic relationship, there's a, it doesn't mean you have to forever be subjugated by it.
2: What would you say a narcissist is like characteristically?
1: They are people who, I mean, listen, I think the problem is there's no one way. I think it's it's a very, very heterogeneous kind of, it looks many different ways. Classically, when we think of someone narcissistic, we're thinking about someone who is arrogant, attention and validation seeking, entitled, grandiose. They don't have much empathy. They often envy other people. Their empathy is very variable. It, it's on when they need something or they're having a good day. It's off when they can't be bothered. So that's not, consistent um, there's there there's They can't tolerate frustration or disappointment. They'll lash out at people when the things are not going their way. Um, They're very, very selfish and egocentric and everything is, they put their needs first. If your needs happen to be aligned for them, then great for you. It's going to feel like you're getting what you need that day. There's a lot of, there's a lot of a need for control. And at the core of that sort of classical narcissistic picture, any narcissistic picture is a lot of insecurity. All of these things I'm talking about, the grandiosity and the entitlement and all of that, they're defenses to protect this very insecure person who basically is constantly dealing with these inner demons. However, not all narcissistic people look that way. Some narcissistic people are more what we call vulnerable, and they're more resentful and sullen and angry and... um, they have a chip on their shoulders and they chronically feel like victims and they can actually be quite anxious and hostile and angry and sometimes even sad and socially unskilled. There are some narcissistic people that look almost psychopathic. They are um, manipulative and exploitative and they are, um, they can be very dangerous and coercive and have even less empathy. There's some narcissistic people who get their validation by doing things for other people. So to at first blush, they seem like great people. They're Raising and they're rescuing the dogs or they're rescuing giraffes or they're raising tons of money for something or they're they're helping people in their town you're like how could that how could that be bad they're doing those things solely for validation when the validation doesn't come they lash out and behind closed doors they're not nice to people and there are even narcissistic people out there who are hyper moralistic that they think of themselves as um as people who are so much better than everybody else because they're more morally upright, that they're more hardworking, that they're more virtuous, they're more pious, and they hold that over other people. You can see that all these people look many, many different ways. And so there is, while that core arrogance, grandiosity, entitlement, um, variable empathy, that's there for every narcissist and the insecurity always there, but all this other stuff, you know, can make it look quite different.
2: And if someone was wondering if they were a narcissist, what would you say to them? Like if they were like, okay, I think I have all of these qualities, but I'm wondering why if I could be a narcissist, like Collier and I get called a narcissist by people sometimes. And
1: so.
0: Because we expose our stories or we're talking about our stories and they feel like
1: I get it all the time. I get it all oh, the good. time. Oh, so good. Okay, I get great. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think <laughs> anybody who puts himself on a public platform is going to be called narcissistic. Yeah.
0: And what is the difference between being a narcissist and being narcissistic? Because I think we talked no, the- about when we were on your show about this, uh, that there is a level of narcissism in everyone that's a survival mechanism, right?
1: I'm going to push back on that a little, okay. this idea of healthy narcissism. I've got a problem with that because it's it's the sense of what is sometimes termed healthy narcissism is actually boundaries and healthy assertiveness and and um, sometimes recognizing that there may be a need to put your needs first, but then you are empathic and aware when you do it. That's just a healthy person. So I, I think uh, healthy narcissism, what is that? Is that, um, I don't know, is that like... Um, Like healthy fast food, is that a thing? Like, I don't really think so. I mean, healthy fast food is just like healthy food that a fast food restaurant might sell. And it's probably not going to happen because it's still processed so they can keep it in a box for three years. So it's a, um, I think that 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 can be confused. Here's the rub. If somebody really said, hey, doc, I'm worried I'm narcissistic. I'm like, that's, I said that, first of all, that's already a good sign. Because there's something in you that's self-reflective that's making you wonder, am I, Putting, am I putting myself ahead of others? So that's showing an insight and in a self-reflective capacity that from a baseline we're probably not going to see in a lot of narcissistic people. But then I'll do a deep dive with someone. I'll say, okay, I might even put scenarios out in front of them. And we'll talk about what does entitlement look like? What does um, selfishness and egocentricity look like? How does how does empathy work for them? How often do they stop and pause and think about what other people think and all of that? And some people will still say, yeah, No. I don't. And so are there some self-aware narcissistic people? Sure. It's rare. It's rare. By definition, narcissism is a non-self-aware condition. But are there some that are self-aware? There are. I've worked with them in, in therapy and they came in for a specific reason. They knew what they're getting into with me and they'll say, I know this. And, but, but in the same breath, they'll say, I know this about me and I don't think I can change it. I can't, it's too much. No, no more than I could change my personality. Neither of you could change your personality either. So I don't know why we keep thinking narcissistic people could change. I understand that their behavior is problematic, but personality is tough to shift and usually it won't have a significant shift unless a person has something absolutely extraordinary and life changing happening in their life. That then we might see some personality changes. And I would argue both of you were so young when the extraordinary thing happened in your life, that your personalities were still developing anyhow. Certainly might've taken them in a slightly different direction, but in an adult, 40, 50 year old adult, if something beyond the pale happens to them, a significant trauma, significant loss. In some cases we might see some personality change after that, but, and there's something called post-traumatic growth. And post-traumatic growth has been called by researchers probably is largely personality change is what we're seeing that can happen after a, um, after a drama. But I'd say that this idea of what is a narcissist, what is, narcissism is the personality style. A narcissist is a person who has the personality style. I don't love the word narcissist. I have to say whenever possible, I try to use the term narcissistic, person because then it describes to how we talk about other personality styles because other personality styles are things like agreeableness we wouldn't call a person an agreeable we would call them an agreeable person right there's another one called conscientiousness we wouldn't call someone a, a conscientious we'd call them a conscientious person so keeping with that same nomenclature I'd say it's a far better use to say someone's a narcissistic person reflecting the idea that you're describing their personality
0: This concludes part one of our two-part episode. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes.
2: On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry.
2: And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast.
0: We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.